You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings, to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. I'm Keith Arthur and welcome aboard the latest voyage of the Strange Boat podcast. My guest is an angler from the Magic Triangle in South Yorkshire, in this case Sheffield. Jim Baxter made his name as an angler who preferred float fishing, to say the least. And when your email address begins, Waggler Man, you know it's serious. Hi oh, Jim, it's good to have you on board. Hello Keith, hello everybody. Yeah, it's uh, been a while. We've never done a chat online or anything, have we? It's amazing, really, because you know you're such you've you've got such an interesting background and such a a successful angler and and your other bits, which we'll get to in a minute. But but first of all, and this is this is a question I, I should have asked Tommy Pickering, but I didn't. But you're probably you may be better qualified to answer anyway. Why do you think that magic triangle I mentioned? I'm talking about the bit between Sheffield, Barnsley, and Doncaster. Why do you oh, yeah. think that has produced and continues to produce such fantastic match anglers? Well, uh, I think it all dates back to when we had the heavy industry, the mining and the steelworks, partly. Uh, I think Sheffield 
became a strong area from the start of the national back in what over 100 years ago nearly 120 years ago uh, and come the weekend these guys they were sick of being down the pit and or in the steelworks and they couldn't wait to get down to Lincolnshire or the Trent and uh, with no local fishing hardly so they had to, they had to travel but they, they went on the train of course yeah in the early days and uh, you know uh, they got away for the weekend or or at least on the Sunday or one day of the weekend and uh, you know when I started it was the Trent on a Saturday and the Witham Sunday or somewhere in Finland. The Trent was always better on a Saturday because the power stations worked so the water was warmer. Well yeah I mean uh, we, we ended up fishing Sundays as well but uh, yeah it was it was mainly that routine and you know we didn't mind we we knew we had to travel so uh, that that's all I can put it down to that that uh, the the guys were in were in a factory or or the pit all week and and they wanted some fresh air and angling was as you know Keith so popular at that time anyway uh, dating before the national you know they had, they had train loads of guys they travelled to, I think it was Kroll on the canal, on the uh, South Yorkshire Canal, as it was. Uh, very popular then. It's amazing, really, because once Sharabangs and coaches became to be the order of the day, that A57 must have just been a line of coaches every Sunday morning heading, as you say, to the Trent or to the Fens. And, and it must have been a fantastic sight. I know um, I'm an, I come from North London and, and it was a bit different for us. But I know in West London, where you had the A40 and the A4 heading towards the Thames, if you missed your coach, you just yeah. stood on a corner, your club's coach, yeah. you stood on a corner and waved every yeah, time a coach came past, and one of them would stop and pick you up, and, yeah. and you went wherever they were going. Be that yeah. you know the middle middle reaches of Thames. We didn't go much past sort of Marlow, Henley Way, Hurley, that kind of direction. We didn't go much past there. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the lower river, and, and and we had not much fishing in London apart from Park Lakes and of course Sheffield. Now the Don is is seen as a great triumph yeah. of fishing, and is is a great fishery. But I remember when I first started working for Diver in 1990 and we used to do our first trade show of the year at the Royal Vic, the Royal Victoria Hotel, and the Don was outside and the only thing that broke the surface was the methane bubbles coming up. It was Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it was like the Rother, I think the Rother was the fourth most polluted river in Europe at one point. And uh, yeah, if you fell in it, you'd get a disease of some kind. Not... Not great. Again, the heavy industry uh, ruined all our local fishing on rivers. But, uh, you know, that took me as a kid to Danflas Res, north northwest end of Sheffield. And and really, that was my stall there and uh, caught (laughs) bullheads and perch, uh, you know, as a lad. And uh, I have to say, though, we were fishing with 18 forged hooks at that time because yep. we didn't know any better. And uh, it was a notoriously hard water, windswept, gin clear, very deep. And uh, even Billy Lane fished it. I found out researching for the Wagler book that Billy Lane went there and he caught two roach and he says, <laughs> this is the hardest place I've ever been. 
So, you know, world champion uh, can't catch. Yeah. I'm just trying to think where got. it was. I was talking to talking to Dennis White once about somewhere, and, and I, I can't remember it was, but his, his actual words were, I'm going no more to there. And and, and, and sure enough, he, he, he didn't go there again. I, and I, I will remember oh, yeah. one day where it was. Um, but it's one, one. I get these things, these these headphones on, you know, and they compress my brain, and they don't let the information flood out. Sometimes, I mean, I'm, I've never been one for notes, but I do make a few notes now, just so I've got some kind of running order. So, you obviously started as as a young man with your penny hooks, which were forged, and with an. I remember once when I first got my first spade end hook, and I didn't know what it was, and I was trying to thread the line through it. Yeah. And, and and then I tried to get a nail and make a hole <laughs> yeah. in the spade because oh the bloody eyes have come full up you know so anyway but that was, yeah it's a different story what what got you into match fishing though well I I was a bit of a late starter I uh, went with my dad of course and he took me up to the flask and another race called Underbank which was slightly better not quite as deep where we fished it anyway and not as clear. And so we caught a few fish up there. But on the match side, I did very poorly as a junior. I only fished two or three matches. I remember blanking on the uh, Lancaster Canal at Garstang. I did I did okay in the Sheffield junior match. Then I went to Garstang and blanked. But I have to say, I might be wrong, but I think Vinnie Smith won that junior match. And uh, oh. I think 300 dry netted or something silly like that. It was just a crazy day. And with the tackle I used, probably, I don't know, 22 or something, I had no chance of catching fish. And he caught on bread punch, I believe. But I, as I say, I wasn't any good as a junior. And then I won the firm's match, which was the star, ironically, because I went full circle. I started work there. Yeah. And I ended up with Angling Star there as a freelance. And uh, I won the... The welfare star and telegraph match with uh, on a porcupine, if you like, on Popham's old. Por- the old porcupine quills, the pre-stick float days, yeah. <laughs> that one match, uh, my first win, that got me keener. I was seventeen then, and uh, from there I got keener, and I started fishing the trends and with them uh, consecutive weekend days, and. Uh, uh, we practiced at Rolleston at that time, and and it got me a lot keener once I'd won that little match, and uh, then I started with making stick floats like we all did, Keith, and uh, then I I won I didn't win I was second in a Crooks Club match at Muscombe. <laughs> now that is a KES <laughs> ending, not Crooks as in burglars, uh, and I got second in this club match with twelve pounds or so. And uh, then I started travelling with a guy called Ron Searle. And Ronnie was one of the better anglers in that Crooks club, which was a fairly good club. There was a good float maker in there called Albert Johnfield. And anyway, I went with Ronnie and I found I could beat Ronnie most times. And again, that notches up your confidence. And uh, I took it from there. On the Witham, where I was going, uh, trying odd big match, Minimum, and as yeah. you know, there were three hundred plus in those days. I got, I got a slaughter in one day from this guy who I looked at once and I thought, well, he looks shabby, you know. And I, I didn't like his box. He, he, he had like a, 
uh, an upright rectangular box that looked old and battered. Anyway, the folly of youth, because it was Howard Robson, Leeds captain, <laughs> and he stuffed me six pound odd a roach to one roach. <laughs> so that that was a lesson. But same time, this was late, very late sixties, and uh, I drew near, very near Brian Lakey one day. And uh, I got a result on skimmers on the swing tip. Master of the swing tip as well was Brian, wasn't he? Master of the fins and the swing tip, yeah. Yeah, well, on this day, you know, I got a result. I, I might have come about 13th, uh, but, you know, at that time, for such a big match, that was a milestone. And it sort of went on from there. And uh, it's all about confidence. And sometimes we fished the tidal at Dunham. We'd walk from... Dunham Bridge downstream, Sheffield Bank. And, uh, yeah, happy memories, happy memories. And then I gradually got into the Witham circuit. And uh, same time as I was trying my hand at Trent Holmes, I did the Witham and uh, I really built what you could call a defensive style. Yes, I do, yeah. Uh, you must remember Steve Calcott's shop. Well, Steve Senior, Steve Steve's dad, uh, he gave me the packet a packet of these uh, fine bleak hooks one day, and uh, I had them for a month or two, and then I tried one, and I remember that must add five seven one five that that set me going on on a on a track that I never looked back on really. Uh, once I started on that up with my homemade. Wagler flow. Then I, I just started getting more fish, and we were only fishing for four to six <laughs> pound. Now uh, that that'll shock a few uh, commercial anglers who regularly catch, you know, fifty times that these days. Uh, but on the Witham, you were looking for four to six pound for a section win, a lot of times, and if you caught eight pound, you were threatening to frame, and so. Uh, that made me carry on with the defensive method. So you, you're talking there about um, a four to six pound to win a section. You're not talking about today's five peg, six peg, ten peg sections either, are you? A section would be maybe 50, sometimes 100 anglers. Yeah, uh, very often 50 on the Witham and then it came down to 25 as uh, entries uh, tail off and you were getting mm. then in my time in the 80s, 100 to 250 maybe entries, where in the 70s it would be three to 500 size matches. So it, it quickly dropped and, you know, we'd get 25-man sections. And I remember one particular day, Freddie Foster, who, who was a hero of Ivan's, if you remember, uh, Freddie was best known for his swing tip skills, of course, swing tip king. But it, I drew on the pound length where I could see sort of 10 pegs downstream. And Freddie was down there and I thought, well, you know, do my usual, try and, try and win this section. And I glanced down at Freddie after about 90 minutes, as I'm just as I'm swinging a roach in, and Freddie looked up at, and saw what I'd done. And... He threw his swing tip rod down and put his float rod up and uh, he ended up with £5 to win that section and I had £3 with an hour's start. So, you know, 
as Mick Pebbly would say, he was a more than useful flow tangler. But uh, yeah, going back to the trend, I uh, I ended up. This was early seventies. I don't know which came first, really, but I, I think I came seventh in uh, the Northern CIU. Now there were six hundred odd in that match. John Farrow won it, but I only caught a four-pound catch, but it put me seventh. And again, that gives you a confidence boost. And then uh, I finally won my first Open Age 23. Yeah. And, and, and they were decent weights. I, I remember, I can't remember what year it was. I, I, I was my first ever seven championship. I think I was 11th with under eight pound. And the I was... I was fifth on the Trent Championship with six pound ten yeah. and a quarter at Shelford. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I, I know that uh, that Ivan was quoted as saying if he could carry five pound around with him, he'd win a lot of matches. And and, and that's true. You know, down down here where we were all in in the winter when we were fishing the canals, if if you carried three pound around with you, there weren't many weeks when you wouldn't be in the money. We know one or two anglers that carried three pound around with them. Well, maybe not three pound, but carried a couple of pound around with them. We won't go into those right now. I'll bet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Least said about those, the better. Um, so you obviously had a, a, a slow burn into match fishing, and it's interesting that you, you you were talking about the fine hooks, and obviously with that those fine hooks, you have to use fine line because you can't tie two pound maxima to a size twenty two five seven one five because it will just slide off. And and I remember once you know talking to John Allerton, who had a, although John didn't fish for sections, he had a similar skill. Yeah. With roach fishing on the Trent, and he gave me a complete kick up the rear end at um, my least favourite Trent stretch at Long Higgin. Oh, yeah. oh, mate. He had 24 pound and I had nine. I, I could have got closer because I had a big snag down to my right. Terry Moroz below me. Terry had some chub. Terry had a reasonable weight as well. I think Terry had 14 pound and I had nine pound and I lost three or four big chub in this snag and it would have been an absolute travesty if I got anywhere close to what John Allerton caught, because he just fished sensationally. And I remember talking to him some years later about how he approached his roach fishing. And in fact, it was on tight lines and we had a caller. And he said, I'm, I'm going out on the Thames fishing for roach this weekend. What do you think I should do? He said, well, I would start on a 24 and 8 ounce line and see how it goes. Now, you know, I... I I think I've used eight ounce yeah. line. I think I've used six eight ounce line, line. You know, yeah. when I'm fishing for a bite on a yeah. canal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. And and I know I've I've certainly fished for chub with twelve ounce line and a twenty two or a twenty four yeah. in the days when a twenty four was a yeah. twenty four. Nowadays a twenty is about the size of our old twelves. Sizes are mixed up, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah. But but that that was that's incredible. And, and you say that really light hook definitely makes a difference. And and the only thing is. If you're on thirty pounder roach, you're going to have to catch one every cast because even a six ouncer, you've you've got to take your time with, haven't you? Well, indeed, Bob Nod. Uh, when I ran some Fosdyke matches, Bob came up and he sometimes came up with uh, Jan Van Schendel. Yeah, and uh, he was the best in England at that time, as you know, in the eighties. And uh, well, I'd say he was. And uh, he. He'd often get double figures of roach and, and he'd get a bonus bream where somebody would push him close with near double figures of roach. You know, yeah. that's about as close as people could get to him. And uh, for 
four or five seasons, he did fantastic. And then the lads would go up to him and, and say, do you mind if I ever go with your tackle? Or can I watch you for five minutes? This is after the match. And he'd say, of course, yeah. And he said, OK, you can have a go with my gear. He says, but don't try swinging in a roach more than three hours. Yeah. You know, uh, he wouldn't have liked it if if that fish had come off and his, his rig had got tangled. <laughs> you know, but it was all about finesse. No rushing with his pole. Everything nice and smooth. Yeah. And I think John Allen and many other greats fit into that same bracket. You know, it's you see these young lads so. Uh, they're thrashing the poles out and in, and yeah, good luck to them. But I think sooner or later they'll realise that that it's smoothness that counts more. Yeah, and and Bob epitomised absolutely. It. He was just just so he didn't look like he was rushing either, but he was quicker than anyone. You know, there was no yeah. racing with him. There was no panicking and shipping it back and swinging a fish out because you know you you drop one fish, you've got to catch three to compensate for it, which is you know. Yeah, exactly. Not always going to happen. And in, interesting, you, you you say about Bob on the Fosdyke because even when he was living sort of where he is now in Cambridge, it would still be a fair journey for him, wouldn't it? Yeah, I don't know. He had a Merc, yeah. which helps. Bob one four. Uh, I don't know how many miles. Bob one four T was the registration number. Yeah. I, I think ter- right. the late lovely late Terry Freeman, uh, who ran Browning at the time, bought it for him. Uh, to celebrate his fourth win on the World Championship, Bob won four times. Bob won four T. That was brilliant. his number. And, and another little anecdote: right, um, my old friend, and I'm sure you you bumped into it a few times. Well, Dicky Carr, uh, he got a, a he got a special yeah. number plate that was something like HTH two fifty, and he said, and he had a Merc as well. He said, oh, I've, "I've got I've got a special plate, Keithy." I said, oh, that's nice, Dick. What is it? He said, there, there, there. He said, mate, there, have a look at that. What do you think of that? I said, what does it mean? What's that shit? Oh, he said, don't mean nothing. He said, it's just a special plate. And and, and, and the other anecdote about that, and I can talk about him now because he's 13,000 miles away, Stu Arnold. Do you remember Stuart Arnold with the tackle shop at, at Waltham Cross? And, and ABC. And, and there, there's a lot to thank Stuart Arnold for because he was the first man that brought Shimano poles into the country. The first man that stocks Van der Nijnd ground bait. Right. He was the first man that, that stocked Browning. Yeah. I mean, at his tackle shop, I don't think he ever paid for any of it, but he, but he, he certainly stocked it. And he yeah. had an, he had a, a BMW and and a two-tone BMW as well, as I remember. And the number plate he had was Stu 30, S-T-U 30. And he got pulled up one day. The police yeah. said, number plate, mate. He said, yeah. He said, what about it? He said, well, it's my number plate. He said, but... It, the number plate doesn't exist on this car. He said, oh, no. He said, I only made it up for my car. He said, I haven't registered it or nothing. And he was driving around. He says, that's, that's the story. Oh, and God. Uh, he, he might listen to this because I, I think now he runs boat a boat business in New Zealand. He sells boats in New Zealand. Oh, yeah. Oh, he was a lovely bloke, Stu Arnold. Oh, I got on with him like yeah. a house on fire. I, I was... Um, I was very unfortunate yeah. in, in 1984 and, and I had to leave the job I was in running a tackle shop and I didn't tell anybody I was going to leave the business and, and, and go back to selling furniture or carpets, which I'd done previously. And I didn't do anything wrong. The shopkeeper sold the shop underneath me, basically. Um, and um, I didn't tell anybody, but that was on the... Apart from those people that needed to know. I, I left on the Tuesday morning... And on the Friday, Stuart phoned me up with an offer of a job. 
Not bad time. In his tackle shop. And yeah, no, well, and, and I didn't take it because I was not going to go into tackle trade anymore. So I, I decorated my flat for a couple of weeks and then uh, got a job in another tackle shop. But that's 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 that's, that's another story. You mentioned a couple of other things about the trend and that, that flicked a, a switch in my brain. Um, and, and one of them, when you, you were talking about Dunham on the title, I've never yeah. fished the title for title Trent. But Kevin Ashurst broke virtually all the match records for the Trent at Dunham, didn't he? Well, he... He had the four-hour record, I think, uh, with something like 20, 27, 8 pound, I think. Uh, I'd have to confirm that, but I've got it written down somewhere. But he, I don't know, I don't know about other records at Dunham, but he had, of course, the six-hour record from Shelford yeah. in '65, and. Uh, that was interesting when I talked to Kevin about that match and he said how I think it was Kemble's brother, Harold Booth, who was second. Yeah. I got it wrong. I thought I thought Ivan was second, but Ivan came third, I believe. And uh, and he said how Harold was not as good as Ken. Ken was one of the best at that time. Uh, Dick Ward said he, in his opinion, he was the best Trent angler at that time in mm -hmm. the 60s. But Harold sat down and they're fishing in only two feet of water on uh, the shallows there, Shelford Shallows. And he sat on his box, did Harold, and he pushed Kevin close, in truth. Did he really? And, uh, you know, he's, and Kevin's 41 11, 41 oh. pound 11. And, uh, you know, there's a few records uh, coming up in the book, and uh, that's it's, it's some going. And you know, John Dean, of course, he did the forty odd pound in five hours yeah. in the later years. But uh, you know, if we get on to John Dean, I mean, you're talking a, an equally special angler. Yeah. Oh, well, in fact, I think nothing. Is it in here? Go on. This is, um, I found these in the loft a few weeks ago. I think, I think it's in here. And uh, John Dean stick float. <laughs> you can't see it. I, 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 I can't no, see uh, quite with the light. No, that's right. The light, light, yeah. yeah. Blacked out. The top's blacked out. But that's, uh, and and yeah. the, he, he, the bottom of his, bottom of his, the stems were very, very fine wire. So I put a blob yeah. of araldite on it to take a bigger float rubber on the bottom of the stem. Right, yeah. Those yeah. were the days. That's well, my secret stash of stick floats in that plastic bag that I've just yeah, just well, made the sound engineer go um, ape by rattling in front of the microphone. But uh, Through talking to John Key, I, uh, I ended up seeing his centipede collection. Oh, yeah. And uh, I've, I've admitted already, uh, <laughs> by not... Not bothering with the pin by listening to certain other good anglers who said, "Well, I can do anything with the with the uh, casting reel that the pin can do." Uh, I'm I'm certain that was a big mistake of mine because what John Dean described to me, how he fished over overshotted with the pin when it there was any sort of water extra water on, you know, impressed impressed me uh, and. Uh, Adding to that, the success Dave Thomas yeah. had with the pin yeah. reel. You know, the, those two anglers, uh, 
they weren't bothered if there was, let's say, 18-inch water on because they knew they'd be fishing the, uh, a method they were very that, confident That's one with. thing as well that you can't do as well with a fixed ball reel. I don't care how good you are. You can't be as smooth when your float's overshotted. And, and when I first started fishing the Thames, it was club fishing, but we only had one float. We had a, bit, we had a croak wheel. That was all the float we had. And, and we, we yeah. laid on with that yeah. croaker when we put as many shots on as was needed to hold the bottom. But sometimes you draw a really shallow yeah. bit. You, you, you talk about uh, Kevin catching out a two foot of water. There were some bits at Maidenhead and Windsor and, and Chertsey where the water was very, very shallow. And you'd be fishing a couple of feet and we'd fish an overshotted crow quill, but trotting. And you could only yeah. do that with a centre yeah. pin, and it would go down as smooth as silk. And any yeah. deviation, quite often, especially dace fishing, you'd feel the bite before you saw it. Yeah, you'd get a little tap, the old twelve foot yeah. taper flash. You get a little tap on the top of the rod, and there'd be a dace on. Of course, we were fishing the size limits; had to be seven inches, and and quite often they weren't. But yeah, that, that those were the days. Yeah, that must have been frustrating fishing to limits and. If you caught quite a lot of fish that were just under limit, ah, oh, you know, well, I, uh, must have and, been a name you, you'll probably remember. Peter Burton once had he said he had eighty pounds of silver bream on an yeah. open match at Pangbourne on one roach, and the roach was the only fish he weighed in. Oh my god! Because all the the, the silver bream and the, the size limit for silver bream in those days was the same as the size limit for common bream, so they had to be twelve inches. And that's a fair size silver bream. And he took an, another net to keep him in. And he had all these undersized fish, which we shouldn't have done, in a separate net. Yeah. And he reckons he had 80 pounds. He was catching them oh on tears God. two foot deep. Oh, good grief. Flipping things. Anyway, that, that's that's a story. <laughs> and and I, I, I won the first ever match, first ever peg down match on the River Lee at Broxbourne. And I won that with oh, yeah. under two pounds. I had five roach for one fourteen four. I think, and, and uh, Bobby Gleed, who owned Thamesley, I know he had six undersized chub. Oh, uh, and man. you know, the, the, all sort of ten inches. They had to be, they had to be foot. They had to be twelve inches. But that makes a bit of a nonsense of it, eh? It does, yeah. It, it, a leveler. It, it is to an extent, but I learnt things back then, and and this is your program, but I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> I, I, I learnt things then that have stood me in good stead because there are some days when you want to up the quality of your fish a little bit. When you, you, yeah. if, if you know a trick or two to catch a bigger fish, you can sometimes do it and, and just catch, you know, if you're catching smaller days, they're fishing very shallow. I mean, we, we had like when, when, when Dave Harrell and, 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 and Dave Thomas, you mentioned, were catching fish very, very shallow, uh, or a couple of feet, three feet deep on the Warwickshire Avon, spraying maggots. That was a trend down yeah. here as well. Lots of people, I never did that. I didn't fall in with that trend at all. I tried to get the days feeding at the depth I wanted them to and only strike them when I yeah. had a bite. And you know that, that Dave and yeah. two days, Thomas and Al, both would be, and Steve Gardner down here, but Kenny Collins would be striking like dervishes every time the float moved. And maybe yeah. on the fifth strike, they catch a fish. Well, that's, I'm too lazy for that. I want, when the float well, goes under, I want it to be a fish. I, I know exactly what you're saying there. Uh, I drew next to Dave on, I think it was the Monday match uh, down on, on the Courage weekend. And I didn't know until recently that he'd never looked for a bite. And I had 166 fish yeah. that day. Lynn's next door, she'd confirmed. She counted every fish. And uh, Dave beat me by ounces. And then he told me, researching the Wagler book, he said, well, he said, you came near to me that day. He said, and uh, 
I thought you might have beat me, but he said, I didn't fish like you did. I said, what do you mean? He said, I just struck uh, on account, and he struck again on account. And so he's having three or four bites more yeah. of the cherry yeah. every cast. And and he caught, I think he had fewer fish than I had that day, but he had yeah. slightly bigger fish, so he obviously yeah. <laughs> did it right. <laughs> one, one trick for catching bigger dace, if you're catching smaller dace, Single maggot catches bigger dace than smaller dace, but that's that's another another day. Well, I use I mostly use single maggot in the time. These days, I use caster mostly. Oh, nice! Yeah. Do you enjoy lake fishing? Well, I I still mm. fish for silvers, Keith, and uh, you know I still prefer a roach to any other fish, and uh, so in that sense, I've not changed. I've, uh, there's a few of us still around, I think, who who still want roach fishing. Uh, so you could say I'm a throwback in that. No, sense. I think there's a lot of people that, that enjoy their roach fishing, and, and and some people have adapted their roach styles, especially with with the, the sort of I'm going to call them the newfangled. They've been around a long time now, but the F1s, which are, are very different to catching carp. And 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 if you're a good roach angler, you're going to be able to catch a few of those. Yeah. I, I I don't go to many places. Well, I don't go to many places now anyway. But I don't go to many places that stop them. And last time I went to Gold Valley. Um, they they put some in Middle Lake, and I had, I had a nice day catching them. I, I, I've got to say, I quite enjoyed it. Like like fishing for a cross between roach and crucians, both of which can have their own little tricky mannerisms. Yeah. But that was good. That was, as, as well as an angler, Jim, you, you've you've done a lot of writing. I mean, you, you you've had a newspaper column or run a newspaper for a very long time. How on earth did that start? Well, I had. I had I worked for Colin Dyson. Oh, I remember um, Colin. Yeah, you may not remember, but I started. I started when poor old Colin Graham got sick and died, and 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 uh, Colin Colin Dyson w- was obviously left on his own to to uh, steer the ship, and uh, so he sent me on. Colin did, and anyway, that's how I started basically, uh, for, apart from a column in uh, Barnsley Chronicle paper uh, when I worked there. Uh, I got a little fishing column. To, that's really started me off, to be fair. But then I had two little magazines that were weren't successful in the in the sense I didn't make a penny, in, and I lost money on the first one called Angling Monthly, which only lasted seven issues. The second one I inherited from uh, a lad lived out Mister Tunway. Pete, oh, sorry, the name escapes me. Forgive me, Pete. Uh, and that was called Bank Talk, which was not the best title, really, but I enjoyed that magazine, and I used to uh, edit it and then go and deliver it to different tackle shops. And uh, That was no way to make, make a living, but it was, I think, just... The, the love of fishing, the passion for fishing uh, that got me doing all these crazy things. I'd drive as far as Otley up in Yorkshire and, and uh, York and deliver this magazine. And then I'd, I'd tour around on the next month's issue and see how many copies we'd sold. Some shops would sell all 10, which I used to leave mostly, and others wouldn't sell a copy. And they would, they'd just fetch the 10 out from under the counter. No. No, and I'd sure. think, well, you've not tried to sell any, but uh, yeah, that was all. That was all really uh, just 
work, working for the love of it, I think. But I, I did break even on that little second one. And then through that, uh, I got an interview with the, the bosses at York Street, Sheffield Star, and they wanted an angling magazine. And, and that's how it started. And uh, it, that lasted 18 years, Angling Star, which oh, I, think so, yeah. I was obviously going. proud of. And uh, it, I could fish in a mo- I could work in the morning, if I can say it, and fish in an afternoon, which was a little bit lazy on my part. But. Uh, it, did, were you doing that when you were fishing at the top level? Because we, we, we mentioned your individual fishing, but you, you fished for top teams as well. You, you're a Barnsley man. Well, yeah. Um, I kept in Sheffield in the 80s and uh, I was sort of torn in a way between wanting to fish for Barnsley and further myself and staying faithful to my home city. You know, so uh, I suppose I didn't I didn't succeed at either in a way, but... Uh, I had great fun with whichever team I fished for. And, and uh, you know, I also had a couple of years with Rotherham. And uh, that was good in its way because it's it's all down to the fun, really. Uh, we, we're not in fishing to make a living. Uh, or if you do, you're going to struggle. You're not into matches <laughs> to make a living from it, unless you're at the very top. Unless you're Alan Scott on and people... Uh, and yeah, I had one England trial and came I came what I thought was close and that was on the Newry Canal. But in a way eighty two, the eighty two one one that yeah, 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 that was that was sort of my first chance and uh I I didn't have enough experience really then. And then later on, just I think when I needed to put more time in, I met Lynn and for different reasons, not because I couldn't fish as as often. It was just, I think, you know, your life changes a bit, and I didn't put the effort in for three years where I needed maybe to double up my effort. You know, you look at the snooker scene, and and you see some guys who they come through, and you know, to use that analogy, I I could I could have made the top sixteen. For, I thought for a couple of years in angling, but I faded. Yeah, you, you get other priorities. You, you mentioned there, Lynn. Of course, Lynn is a great match angler in her own right. And there must have been a few weekends when you came home, you weren't even the best angler in your marriage. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we used to fish the flask, of course, uh, together. And uh, the second time we went there, Lynn said, well, I. She's never one for for watching. She's no spectator. She said, "Yeah, I fancy I fancy fishing next time," and it was uh, good in that she took to it straight away. And at first, it was, "Why do you catch fifteen fish to my six? And then suddenly, she'd catch ten fish to my eight or whatever. So, yeah, it was it was a great period that. I was happy to train Lynn as best I could and, and Lynn took to it and she before long she entered this flask sweepstake and there were about 80 anglers on that, the autumn sweepstake, and she came fourth. 
just out of nowhere, you know, first match ever. So it went from there, then she won the ladies' national, and it was good till the girls came along. And once once we had two girls, Lynn's life changed a bit, and mine did. And you know, you you go in a slightly different direction when you need focus to, to win at top There's level. There's no question about that. And I'll, I'll mention Peter Burton again. He told me oh, fifty years ago when we first started fishing together. He said, one thing I'll tell you now, anything in your life changes, anything, your fishing will change. And at first it will go down. Yeah. And then it might go up again. He said, if it doesn't go up, you've got into the wrong situation. <laughs> and and, and it, 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 was, it was quite profound. I mean, <laughs> there were some more things happened to Pete than anyone I know, I think. And and, and he, he, saw, he seemed to be able to ride roughshod over most things like that. But d- does Lynn still get out fishing now? She does, but she's a very busy girl because uh, she's doing art next door as we speak. Oh, yeah. She's very keen on a painting, and she's also captain of the golf club. Oh. So uh, she, she's a lady captain this year at Tapton Golf Club, Chesterfield. And, uh, yeah, you can only do so much in a day, Keith. Yeah. And we've got, we've got two little dashings, and they want to walk, or she's golfing <laughs> or painting. Yeah. So... We do get fishing occasionally, and she said only yesterday there's there's a little carp lake where we fished a bit of pellet waggler along with a mate oh, of mine. Yeah. The three of us went some evenings fishing pellet wagler, and these carp are big. That you're you're unlucky if one is less than ten pounds. On a pellet wagler. The trouble is if you get if you get one fifteen plus, there's a couple of islands and it might run you around an yeah. island. So it's not. It, they, they're not really pellet waggler fish, in truth. They, they go up to 25, somebody told me yesterday. So, uh, yeah, but that's that's for a bit of fun. Um, I'm no uh, great carp fan. I like crucians. Yes, don't we all? Yeah, I mean, like you say about F1, smallmouth fish, and they can be cute. And, uh, yeah, uh, if if I have a second choice, it would be crucians or chub, probably. Mm. After all, well, chub can be the most frustrating thing there ever was as well. Yeah, they're shy, aren't they? And oh. uh, you catch one, and then sometimes that's it for that swim. And then other times, they're, they're, you know, they, it seems like they want to climb up your line. I remember I, I had a big weight of Fiskerton, a chub, um, on, on chucking a great big feeder at the far bank, and it was only two and a half foot deep, and they were taking it on the drop. That, that was, uh, don't get many days yes. like that, unfortunately. That, that was one of them. So do you still do a bit of, uh, you still writing in, in newspapers and stuff? You still do a fishing column? No, I, I did the, uh, the, the mag finished in 2012, and then I, I thought, well, you know, I've done my time. Uh, so I sort of unofficially retired, and and eventually I got round to the Waggler book, and uh, so that took me three years or so. Did it? And, uh, that me. came out in sixteen. You know, so uh, I've I've not been anywhere at a loose end since the magazine finished, and uh, enjoyed the Waggler book, and and likewise the uh, book I've just almost finished. The stick well, yeah, I was going to get onto that because I was entirely honoured when you asked me if I'd uh, if I'd contribute to it because um, 
it, it came out the blue, I've got to say, but there was uh, there weren't very many people down this neck of the woods that concentrated on the stick float as much as I did. Um, I, and in fact, I was no. told by several people that uh, I use a stick float to my detriment. Um, when others would fish a waggler, I would fish a stick float, even if it was four or five rod lengths out. And uh, that's stupid, you know, whatever. But I, 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 I always went fishing to enjoy it. Obviously, I enjoyed winning. Yeah. I enjoyed winning more than not yeah. winning. But I enjoyed fishing more than winning, if you know what I mean. I've, if Sometimes, especially on team events or on any kind of qualifying event, you have to compromise what you like to do to do what you need to do to win. But if, sure. if I was fishing an open match and I'd paid me tenner or fiver or 20 quid, whatever it was, there's not been many 20 quid matches on the stick float down here. That, that was, they were tenner a long time before the stick float ran out. And, and, and you'd, I wanted to enjoy my days fishing. There were stretches where I never fished the stick rope. Medley, for example. Um, the stick rope never seemed right for me at Medley, and I always chucked a waggler out there. Um, and, and did oh, Medley was one of my, my favourite stretches. But I'm, if only you could see to my right here, um, about 300 yards away is the, the semi-tidal Thames. And when I was fishing that up to about the mid-1990s, that was absolutely prime stick float fishing there's not many swims deeper than about seven feet you've got to yeah richmond that's right that's where i live so you've got to stand in the water to fish it so you've got to stand up nowadays people will put a platform up and fish a long pole but it was just an incredible way of fishing now it doesn't flow i can i can honestly i can chuck chuck a waggler out down there now walk home make a cup of tea walk back down there and the float will still be there Unless a boat's gone past, which would have washed it somewhere, or fish has taken it. Millions, millions of millions of yeah, fish down there. No millions good. of fish. Even though we've had seals in the river and goodness knows what, but there's just no flow. The, the, the flow has, has deserted the river, except when the tide's coming up and going down and it's almost unfishable then anyway. But that, that's a different story. But I used to fish, you know, when the Thames flowed, that would that would be my first choice everywhere. And, and I loved the Trent, and I used to do quite well when I visited the Trent as well. And that's the true next to John Allerton. Well, I, I was just... I was obviously, yeah, <laughs> I was chuffed, you know, you agreed to summarise the London scene, stick float scene for me. And, uh, you know, there's several people like yourself in the book who would prefer to fish a stick than any other method. And let's be mm. right, it's a beautiful method. And uh, the unmistakable clonk <laughs> when you strike yeah. into the fish. Yeah. Uh, so many things... Stay in your mind after a, yeah, a, a good day. You wouldn't know session. how many chapters I could have written for you on on just just around here. You know well, the, the, yeah, the places, the little niche places that I had to leave out. We used to have a stretch of the canal um, that was a flowing pound. Not Lady yeah. Capel's, the famous one. This was where the, the, near, near Savay Lake, where the big carp anglers are. There was a stretch there, and and that was just just unbelievable. You, you could go there and catch. Well, I don't know how many roaches, as many roaches you wanted. You could catch 40 pound a roach up to several people. I yeah. never had a two pounder, but several people had them over two pound. Then as quickly as they came, they went and were replaced with big bream. And I don't know what's there now, because I doubt if anybody ever fishes it anymore. Very right. few people. It was a little bit of a walk. And it was famous because it's the, the it's, it's yeah. part of where the River Colne runs into and out of the Grand Union Canal. And 
this will be a familiar tale to people down here that fish several rivers, the cone is now sewage effluent. Unless it rains, the cone hasn't got any water. Obviously, it doesn't run dry. It does at the top end. It runs completely dry at the top end around by St Albans Lakes. It, it runs out. But down this end, there's always enough water between the pounds and with the canal um, going in and out of the canal, there's enough water there. But if, if you can, there's a, a great website. If you want to know river levels, there's a great website called Gauge Map. And if you go on this Gauge Map and look at places like the River Cone and the Upper River right. Lee, every day the river goes up and it goes yeah. down. And when it gets to the bottom, it goes up again. And it's not automatic right. weirs. It's when the sewage farms really? discharge. That's so sad. It's, it's clean water. Don't get me wrong. It's perfectly clean water. It, it's you know, chemically clean, which is why the, the roach aren't there and probably why the bream aren't there anymore, I doubt. But it, it's perfectly clean water. But like some of the rivers that I've fished over the last 15 years, they're 10, 12 inches lower yeah. than they were those years ago yeah. because there's just not no, anyway that's a, there's too many people but that, that's a completely different story but the stick float book it really interesting now what, what other contributors have you got well or, or is it giving away a secret no not really i've i've got the the people who i think were most important in the early history uh from benny and kevin onwards i was lucky enough to meet dick ward and have access to his diaries and uh I think Dick was quite important in the story uh, and his team was called The Method, if you remember. Well, The Method, the method 4 included, included Alan Mayer, Ken Booth and a lad called Bobby Watson who he ended up, he was the first to struggle physically in the team but but some people said he was the the best angler to watch of the four of them uh, for style, uh, very uh, elegant angler. And, and yet Dick said that Ken Booth was as good a Trent angler as, as any. Mm. Uh, so I've got those guys. and uh, He liked to centre right... pin as well, didn't he? Ken Booth liked to centre pin. Yeah, well, he was... He was the guy who, who slagged off the pin reel uh, uh, on Nottingham Radio, if you like, oh. and uh, and this set, this started the ball rolling for the Nottingham Manchester Challengers, and so I've got I've got those challengers covered, and by the way, uh, Manchester the Manchester team was supposed to win all all of those, but. Uh, the truth is that the second challenge, the Nottingham Anglers, six aside at Fiskerton, they won convincingly. So that Manchester didn't get it all their own way with, with the stick and caster where the Nottingham men, were, that day, they fished maggot and little balls of ground bait. Kevin ended up, Kevin Ashurst, he switched to maggot and caught late on. And typically of Kev, he complained that had he changed earlier, he might have been in the top three, you know. Uh, might have been in the top two, sorry. The top two, uh, I think one was Ken Parr. I think the other was, the second was Johnny Tulson. Uh, don't quote me on that. But, yeah, so the other important team from Manchester was Abbey Hay. Yes. You might I remember, remember the Abbey name. Hay, yeah. Abbey Hay Club. Yeah. 
which ain't that far. I think it's only about eight miles north of Stockport. But uh, you'd got there, you'd got Tony Knight and Tony Bilderman. Yep. Uh, Tony Knight described Tony Bilderman as as the brains of the outfit. Can I tell you a little story about He'd Tony Bilderman? Before, because yeah. I'll forget otherwise. Yeah, um, I was second, yeah. as you you probably remember, on, on Division Two National on the Trent, on, the on Division One yeah. National on the Trent. I was yeah. second. Tony Bilderman's on that yeah. trophy twice, twice been second in yeah. Division One National. Yes. And and so and one of those was on the Neen with forty eight pound, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And yeah, Tony Tony was described by Tony Knight, who there's an argument for saying he was the best of the four, and the other two were Ian Oldcock, who won the Trent Championship, and Ian Heaps, of course. Mm. And uh, and then they, I don't think they got on particularly well, if I'm okay to say that. Uh, but they ended up leaving. Both Ian's left the squad at the team. And uh, then Harry Jackson came in and a guy called Bob Palmer. And Harry Jackson was, you know, sort of the replacement uh, with Bob Palmer. And they carried on winning matches. And, and Harry himself was good at Dunham. Uh, so you got Tony Bulderman good at Dunham, uh, replaced by Harry Jackson, who was also in the first four-man Barnsley Bikes team when uh, Dennis and Tommy and a lad called Alan Sefton... De Tommy might have told you this story. They were looking for a fourth angler to make a team up at Dunham and they came across Harry Jackson and Harry won the match, so they won the team event. <laughs> welcome. Yeah, yeah welcome so to the team. Yeah, they recruited a Lancashire angler yeah. and, and they couldn't have picked a better yeah, angler. Yeah. Preston it was. Dennis White's no more going to. The Leeds and Liverpool Canal. I'm going no more to Preston. Oh, right. Yeah, that was... Oh, I, knew yeah. I knew it had well, come to me in the end. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. how big is this book? Is it, is it a proper tome? It is. It is an absolute tome, Keith. Uh, I've got the best part of 60 anglers in there. Uh, and, you know, some have, written, some have written for me. Others I've done in an interview format. And so... Yeah, uh, it's a big project, and obviously I come on from the Manchester Anglers. Then we do Pete Warren and Co., mm. uh, Frank Barlow, you know, and, and all this, and then the Yorkie Invasion as part three, uh, where we talk about the likes of John mm. Illingworth. And uh, John, of course, was a bit of a legend in Yorkshire. John Illingworth, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. John Illingworth. And, uh, you know, he sort of came through with Dennis White, very strong. And and we go on from there. And, uh, you know, then we come on to your Allertons and, and Dave Thomas. And, and then in the end of the book, I talk about other key floats. Obviously, the Bolognese, I wouldn't say it's completely taken over, but it's equal to Stick's popularity. Yes, century, that, let's see. When I, I first started using Bolognese in the early 90s, when I was working for Diver and we had access to proper yeah. telescopic Bolognese rods. And, and I used one um, a few times on the Neen, um, in on their winter um, winter yeah. matches. I used to fish the pole mostly. I mostly fished between 11 and 13 metres fishing with hemp. 
but there were some bits where it was exceptionally deep and, and, yeah. and sometimes the hemp didn't work properly and you had to run it down a little bit further and, 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 and fish top and bottom and and, and uh yeah you know, I, I fished fished i got some bolognese floats proper ones from from uh, italy and um i had through mario molinari and I, I i got the the these and i said to john middleton who was another yeah. sheffield man who was a sales manager at the time i said we're gonna oh we're gonna sell loads of those john those bolognese rods we're gonna sell loads in the end we remaindered them they went out in the the october dump list all the stuff that was going to be discontinued and they were bought mostly by two fly fishing shops that sold them as dapping rods. Really? So absolutely Amazing. perfect for dapping as well. And my old friend Rick Nunn at Tackle Up in Bury St Edmunds, he bought five or six of them and, and, and sold them for using the dapping floss and live daddy long legs at, at, at Rutland, in particular Rutland. Well, it yeah. sounds good. Yeah. I've done my share of fly... I wouldn't say I've done my share, but I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed fly fishing yeah. for 10% of my time. Yeah. And... And again, like the stick in its own way, fly fishing, a dry fly especially, what a wonderful way to live your life. Eh? Well, I think like, like the stick flow, I, I, you, can, you can actually have that as an analogy. You're, you're more than welcome yeah. to it because there is a degree of skill in the technique. Now, I'm not saying there's no skill in pole fishing and there's stacks of skill in ledgering, yeah. but they're different skills. They're yeah. completely different skills. And with the stick float and with, to a degree, the waggler, but certainly with a stick float and certainly with fly fishing and particularly with the dry fly, there are very specific skills that if you don't do right, you ain't going to do any good. <laughs> no. End of story. You, no. you ain't going to do any good. So any, what, what's, what's on the horizon now for, for Jim the Angler? Are you, you, you knocking that little pill around and, and, uh, and following it till it gets in a hole or are you going to go fishing some more? I, uh, I'm hoping to carry on with the match fishing, uh, but I have a, a physical issue because I've had MS for quite a few yeah. years now, and so it's getting to the pegs is more difficult. I've, I've got, uh, I, I think, a limited future in matches as far as matches go, and you know that'll that'll uh, hurt, but. I have to be realistic and I use a mobility scooter and as we speak my mate Dave Edwards is making me a trailer nice. for the uh, I saw one scooter. of those the other day, I saw someone using uh, one the other day, yeah. Yeah, so that that's my limitation, Keith. So I, I can't really fish the stick on rivers anymore, but uh and in a way I've sort of promised to go into detail on this with your friend Nigel Botherway. Oh yeah about fishing a stick float on a lake. So Really? Uh for any for any listeners interested, uh you don't you're not restricted to fishing a stick on a river. Uh we fish this method called the puller up here. Mm -hmm. And uh it's not travelled very well out outside South Yorkshire but uh the Sheffield area uh, it's it's served me well and I've had a lot of fun with it this last twenty years. And uh, it catches fish near the surface. Uh, it's it's very good on eyed, for example. Oh, they're tricky fish. Don't 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 say that too loud because one of my pals has got two ponds, and one of them is full of eyed, and you have to catch them to win, and they're getting cuter and cuter and cuter. 
and they're having to use different techniques all the time. So so you'll have to send me a little um, a little bit about the puller and uh, and I'll go to Gordon's Lakes and uh, he'll be listening. It's Gordon Bullock at Redbridge Lakes and and uh, and we'll have a little go there with it. So and and, and of well, course when you think back to the stick float, wasn't it originally? Um, Benny Asher's designed the fish in the far bank of the canal, didn't he? The Lee Canal. Exactly, yeah. Four inches is his original float out of his book. Uh, that is a mini stick, four inches. And uh, then he decided, yeah, if I make this a bit bigger, he said, I can, I can maybe fish the Trent. And uh, he took it from there. And obviously with the caster, uh, great combination yeah, eh? just exactly yeah maggots don't they don't mind maggots going through at the speed of the current but that caster they want it they want it shoved into their mouth as people say well yeah uh they fished they they had it sorted uh for 10 years or so but i think you know the the rest of us caught up nottingham caught up and certain people pete warren especially uh set the trend in nottingham his own way and i like I always like the idea of Pete catching twenty pound a roll, chal half a pound. Well, of yeah, that's 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 def- uh, that's nice fishing. I'm I'm sure that when you book out, when you when you book me in the shops, Jim, Amazon, and places like that, or are you just selling it yourself? I'm hoping I've I've not got I've not arranged the publisher yet, right. but I'm hoping obviously it'll be on sale through Amazon. Yeah. Good. Good. Well, let me know when it is because, um, you know, obviously I'll, I'll I'll make sure lots of other people know about it as well because it's it's match post-war match fishing it's probably the single most important element until the feeder well that that's that's my opinion anyway i always like to ask um the people that join me on board the strange boat for a tip so you know yeah 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 well give us a tip the best tip something that's helped my waggler fishing uh, I use a soft rod anyway. Mm-hmm. The last rod I bought was a Fox Waggler Lite, which is yeah. soft. But for years now, I've been using a short piece of pole elastic under the Waggler. So between a three and four grade elastic, four to six inches, loop to loop. I put a small loop in each end and I put that below the Waggler. And there's just, it's a win-win situation. Any fish that bumps, you know, sometimes a fish will knock just as you're about to net it. That last little dive, and they don't come off as as often as if you've not got the elastic on. So it's just a bit of extra insurance. And uh, I I also use it on this puller method with the uh, stick slick float on a lake. So try the elastic. If if ever you knock it, if ever you're bumping fish off with whatever rod you're using, try that little piece of elastic. Up to six inches is enough. And you won't bump as many fish. I played with that some years ago and it, it looked I didn't ever use it in a match. It looked too untidy for me. But uh, yeah, that, that is it, it's a great idea. It's a great tip as well, because when I, I'm talking about playing it within in the mid 1970s. So that's, you know, when, yeah. when we, we first had the old Zim pole elastic. Uh, yeah. Long before we had the modern type of stuff that actually works, you know, as, as my yeah. old foreman used to say, stretches like a woman's conscience that the, 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 <laughs> the, 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 the Zim was a bit different. 
Well, Jim, as ever, mate, it's been great speaking to you. We don't do it enough, I know. We always say that, say it to everybody. But uh, I'm sure everybody's enjoyed listening to that, just the wonderful history of match fishing and especially, especially stick float fishing, dare I say, even waggler fishing. And uh, it won't be too long before we chat again soon, I'm sure about that. And uh, I'm looking forward to the book. Cheers, mate. I hope you enjoyed listening to one of Match Fishing's great anglers and historians, Sheffield's Jim Baxter. Thanks for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I did. I'll be back soon with another Strange Boat podcast, so please like and subscribe, ready for the next voyage. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.